Turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll continue in our series tonight. So Matthew 6, verse 10. Let me ask you to stand if you would. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 tonight. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Let's begin reading, I guess, in verse 9, and then we'll come to verse 10. Jesus said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Father, we're grateful tonight uh, for the music, the time together, the fellowship. Lord, just to be strengthened by one another and to be in each other's company, what uh, is a help, and we're grateful for it. And Father, I ask tonight that you'd speak to our hearts and illuminate this passage again to us. And further, for each of us, there'd be a, maybe a different point of application, and I pray that we'd find that this evening. So give wisdom, uh, understanding from your Holy Spirit, and just help in uh, the time that we look at this passage to understand and hear what you would have for each of us individually in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In my studies this week, I found a Lord's Prayer joke. So, so I'll go ahead, go ahead and share it. It actually kind of has a, a, a good point at the end. So the story is told about a Republican and a Democrat candidate for office and they were meeting in a town hall debate. And so in the course of the discussion, the subject of religion came up, and the Republican candidate said to the Democrat, I'll bet you $20 you don't even know the words to the Lord's Prayer. And the Democrat said, I'll take your bet. I do know the words to the Lord's Prayer. Great, the Republican replied, let's hear it. The Democrat responded, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. The Republican just looked at him. And he kind of stunned. He took out his billfold and handed his opponent $20 saying, I can't believe you actually knew it. <laughs> and that's probably the more accurate state of affairs than we would like to acknowledge. Uh, before we, I suppose the point for me is, for I feel too superior about it, um, about knowing the words of the Lord's Prayer, I have to keep in mind it's one thing to know the words, and it's another thing to live them and to understand them. And so we would all have work to do in that area tonight. The Lord's Prayer, it was a prayer that Jesus taught to His disciples. It wasn't a prayer for them to repeat word for word. Uh, we looked at that, the, the verses preceding this. Uh, Jesus talked about vain repetition and prayers that are said over and over. And He said, don't be like that. Don't do that. That's what the heathen do. He said, don't do that. He said, but this, this is a model. This is an example for you to understand and to follow. This is a pattern, if you will, of prayer that we might pray. And so he says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. And we learned this in the, in the, in the past few weeks, and especially last week, that when we come to the Lord, um, we are to address Him as our Father. That This was the most common way that Jesus Himself would, would address God. And it speaks of the kind of relationship that we have with the Lord. It's special. It's unique. Um, he's not cold. He's not distant. He's a loving Father. Does He correct us? Well, the answer, of course, to that is yes. That he, he, he scourges every son whom He receives. But only because He loves us. And He cares for us. And He has our ultimate good in, in mind, like an earthly father, a good example of an earthly father would. He also provides. He guides. He is there for every single, us every single day as our Father. And Jesus was constantly looking to the Lord in that role. And so he would come to him and he even taught his disciples that as we pray, we say, our Father. And this is a reminder when he says our, that it's plural. 
um, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ if we know the Lord. It's important that we remember as we come to Him, He is my Father, yes, but He's our Father. And, and that binds us together with the intent and even some of the prayers that we might pray to Him. And we aren't just to address Him as our Father, but as our Father that art in heaven. And last week we said that the word for heaven in the Greek is uranos. And the word doesn't mean heaven as in a place that's just out there or just up there, but it's all around us. In Psalms 139, the psalmist said that he couldn't get away, even if he wanted to, and not that he did, but even if he wanted to, he couldn't get away from the presence of the Lord. And he gave several illustrations. And he, he said, whether shall I go from thy spirit, whether shall I flee from thy presence? He said, in heaven. He said, if, in, if I was in hell, in the morning, in the midst of the sea, in darkness and night, even in his mother's womb, he said, God was with him. He said in verse 17, how precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. And, and the idea behind this word heaven and the Greek word here that the Lord used was that the Lord is present. He's not an absentee father. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He's there physically. He's there emotionally. He's there with you. When you fail, when you mess up, the Lord is, is there. And so the first request that Jesus made to the Father was, Our Father, which art in heaven, and then this was the request, hallowed be thy name. And we asked this question last week, how does God hallow God's name? And we, we decided, and we've, as we've looked at this, that when we come to God in prayer, He uses us often as the answer to the prayer. And so the idea of hollow means set apart or holy. It's distinct and different. And there are many ways that we do that with God. We hollow His name with our praise and with our worship. But perhaps the most important way we hollow God's name is by living in a way that reflects His goodness it reflects His majesty, His beauty, and His love. And so the questions that we sought to answer last week were these. How do we address God in prayer? Well, we address Him as our Father. Where is our Father? Well, the answer is He's present. He's here. And how is His name hollowed through our lives? And this leads us to verse 10. When Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Scholars look at this passage historians, and, and they say that this petition is the most central concern of the entire prayer. If there were a central idea, if there were a thesis, if you will, to the prayer, if we were to take all the prayer and say, okay, what's the really big idea? What's the main point? This is it. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of scholars even say, and, and commentaries suggested in the study that I did, that this was the central concern of Jesus' entire ministry. His teaching, His preaching, His life, His death, His resurrection, they all pointed and point to God's kingdom, the proclamation of His kingdom, the invitation to be a part of His kingdom. And aren't you glad if you've received Jesus as your Savior, you're in the kingdom, the instruction to live in such a way that God's kingdom comes to earth. Jesus, and we, we have such a short, uh, four books about his life. And, 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 and there's so much more that would have happened. But in those books alone, over 100 times, Jesus says the word kingdom. It's a big deal to him that we understand that. We will have a hard time understanding Jesus 
and applying His words to our hearts if we don't understand the word kingdom. Even in the time of Jesus, His most faithful followers had a really difficult time understanding and comprehending what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. And, And this is so important. They were convinced it had to do with an earthly empire. That was how they thought. These people were weary. They were angry. They were, there was resentment in their heart towards the Roman government. They were tired of the way they were treated. They were tired of the taxation. They were tired of the oppression. They were, they were tired of, of, of how, how they took advantage of their lives. And so Jesus shows up on the, on the scene, and he was a man of authority, and he had healing power, and he could make food out of a little bit of food. And, and, and he, he had this, these just unique abilities, and they're thinking, if we go to war and we get injured, he heals us. We don't need to worry about supply chains. He could just make food out of, out of one fish and a few loaves of bread. He, he, could, just, he could just feed a whole army. And they're thinking, this is awesome. And he is our, going to be our new king. And he is going to be an awesome monarch. And he has supernatural force. The man can walk on water. But he didn't act like a monarch. He never went about setting up a kingdom. He's disappointed so many people, including John the Baptist. See, John the Baptist played an enormous role in announcing the kingdom of God. And yet, even in his announcement, here is the herald of Jesus Christ who didn't fully comprehend or understand what Jesus meant by kingdom. The man preaching the message didn't fully comprehend the message. And I'll confess to you, there's a lot of this book I don't fully comprehend. And I take comfort in that. And here is is John the Baptist. And he is in Herod's dungeon. He's been arrested. His life will end with his head chopped off. He's a good dude. He's lived a good and bold life. And he, at the end, gets scared. He gets disillusioned. The very message that put him in the position he's in, he, he, he tells some of his disciples that visit him in prison, go and check with Jesus and, and, and be sure that he's the Christ, the, the Messiah, the King, because he's not acting like one. And I'm not sure that he's it. Again and again, this very man had cried, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he doubted the very kingdom he preached. Jesus' own disciples were especially baffled. They were bewildered. It's no wonder that they fled. Their expectations were shattered. Here Jesus was, and they expected him to become a king of a kingdom. And here he was, arrested like a common criminal, tried with trumped-up charges, crucified like a criminal, and he died. And they are sitting there thinking, over and over and over, he preached about the kingdom. He used the words father and kingdom, and now he's dead. And of course they were discouraged. Of course they're disillusioned. Of course they don't know what to do with that. Why? Well, they didn't understand his kingdom. What is his kingdom? Well, it may be easier to start with this question. What is kingdom is not? Or what isn't his kingdom? 
And thankfully, Jesus answered that question clearly for us. So turn to John chapter 18, if you would. John 18. Shouldn't be too far away. And I I want us to begin our reading in verse 33. The setting is Jesus' crucifixion. And he is there with Pilate, and Pilate's going to try him. And so in verse 18, Pilate enters into the judgment hall. The Bible says, again, this is the second time with Christ. He calls Jesus, and he asks him this question. Art thou the king of the Jews? Okay, this this is a question. Do you have a kingdom? Are you a threat to me? Are you a threat to the Roman Empire? Are you the king of the Jews? Because they're subjugated under me. They're my subjects, not yours. And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Are you asking me this question, or other people say that? Did I say that to you? Because I didn't. And Pilate answered him, I Jew? Thy own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, here, 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 here is the answer, is what isn't Christ's kingdom? Okay, here's the answer. And we need to keep this phrase in mind tonight as we answer this question, because we're going to ask what the kingdom isn't, and then what the kingdom is. And Jesus very clearly says, my kingdom is what? It is not of this world. Okay, that's where everybody got it wrong. That's what they, they couldn't conceptualize that, they couldn't understand it, because their framing was all wrong around the question. They all thought Jesus' kingdom had to be of this world because it's the only context for a kingdom. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a whole nother power struggle at play here. And we're going to get to that in a second. And I am a mess tonight. I apologize. I was a mess Sunday. I'm a mess tonight. All right. Ben will make fun of me Sunday for it. All right. Here we go. He says, my kingdom, he says, is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants what? Fight. Okay, there's a lot we could say. Then my servants would be politicians. No, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm dead serious. I mean, I get the humor in it. But then when my servants, um, then they would be generals. I mean, if I was in a power struggle here, well, then I would engage the way the world engages in power. Okay, he says, but my servants aren't going to fight. So he says, then will my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Verse 37. I love this question. And I'm going to come back to the end of the sermon. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Okay, well, I don't know what you're doing because if your servants aren't fighting, then you're not, you can't be a king. Pilate missed it. John the Baptist missed it. The disciples missed it. And sometimes we miss it. So he says, art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause, he said, I came into the world. Is he a king? Not in a way Pilate comprehended or any other earthly kingdom. Oh, but he's a king. I mean, Jesus, he is a king. And he will be. He will reveal himself that way one day to us. His kingdom is not, though, of this world. And this has so much implication for us. Sometimes as Americans, we might have a tendency to think of our nation as a, as a quote-unquote Christian nation. And, and by inference, an extension of God's kingdom. There is no such thing as a Christian nation, not according to Jesus' words. He says, my kingdom 
is not of this world. And we can't argue with that. If there was such a thing, Jesus would have created it himself because he is Christ. He would have created a Christian, Christian nation, and he didn't. My servants aren't going to fight. They're not going to run for office. They're not going to be kings and governors and lords. If it was his will, he would have given us at least a very a, a, a instruction in his word on how to create a Christian nation. And he didn't. And we fondly note, note verses like this. Psalms 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So that nation, they have God as their Lord, and that's America. Okay, but you have to finish that verse to understand it. And we don't finish that verse. Because the rest of the verse is this. The people he has chosen as his inheritance. That's not America. That was the Jews. That was, that was the Jewish nation. It wasn't is them. And it's exclusively. That promise is exclusively for them. I am not saying there aren't some implications from that verse or principles we could broadly apply and be better for and by. But that promise was to the Israelite nation. What was their inheritance? Well, ultimately, their inheritance was Jesus Christ. Like, he was, God made a promise to this man, Abraham, and through Abraham came Jesus. He was the inheritance, ultimately. He's the promise. And through him, all nations of the world are blessed. That's it. Like, that's the big picture here. No human kingdom or society can ever merge with God's kingdom, not even partially. We don't advance God's kingdom by advancing any one particular nation, including America. Good, let me, let, me, let, me, let me just say this too. Good and noble causes are good to support and to be involved in. I'm not disparaging those things, but they have no impact in ushering in the kingdom of Jesus Christ for this reason. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. So you can't work through politics. You can't work through any nation and accomplish his objective that way. Because my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, his servants would have fought. They would have been warriors. They would have been politicians. They weren't. I want to quote something from John MacArthur, and we would all have very opinions about him, but I think the man has some things that are worth noting and sharing. And this was a quote in 1981. Uh, that's a long time ago. And I think it has more relevance today, perhaps, than it ever has. He says, what concerns me most is the open hostility that resentment with our nation's leadership often fosters. When that attitude merges with the perspective that Christians ought to impact the culture by legislating morality, which that cannot be done, the church is severely diverted from its main purpose. Although changing our society by calling it back to a safer morality is a noble goal, this has never been Christ's goal for His church. The church has but one mission in this world, to lead people destined to spend eternity in hell to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and an eternity in heaven. If people die in a communist government or democracy, under a tyrant or a benevolent dictator, believing that homosexuality is right, or that it's wrong, or believing abortion is a woman's fundamental right to choose, or simply mass murder, 
That has no bearing on where that person will spend eternity. If they never knew Christ and never embraced Him as their Lord and Savior, they will spend eternity in hell. You cannot legislate morality. Jesus didn't. And He doesn't give us instruction to do that. I want to go back at this phrase that He said. He said, what concerns me most? Okay, that's where I pay attention to. Is the open hostility that resentment with our nation's leadership often fosters. See, the real danger may not be the nation's leadership. The real danger might just be the resentment and the open hostility that Christians allow in their hearts toward leadership. That's our problem. And it's everywhere today. And it's destroying the church and tearing us apart. The kind of spirit and that kind of attitude towards leadership derails the kingdom of God and what we are about. America has one destiny, and that destiny is this, to go the way of all other nations. I am grateful for our country. I'm grateful for the sacrifices that are made. I, I myself would make them and have to some degree. But all kingdoms of this world will rise and fall. But the gates of hell will never prevail against the church of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Our nation's immoral agenda, its animosity toward God, is painful to watch. But let's not contribute to it and its demise through our own resentment, through our hopelessness, through our despair. Of all people, we have light. We have joy. We are to be bearers of peace and good news and glad things. And we are to proclaim them and to change fundamentally what we can change. And that is what we are to pursue is His kingdom. What does, God, what does, impact, um, what impact does God's kingdom have in the kind of spirit and life that you live? That's where Jesus is centering his message. So what is his kingdom if it's not of this world? Well, Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king, and Jesus responded with this. For this cause, I came into the world. And I, I, the intelligence behind the, the way that this question is answered, it's such a direct question, and it, he answers it in such a beautiful, authoritative way. He could have just said, yeah, I'm a king, because he is. And he just simply says, well, for this cause, I came into the world. And I might add, for this cause, he's coming to the world a second time. But it's going to be a little different. John wrote in Revelation 19, 16, when he saw a vision of the Jesus to come back. said, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name. And it's written, King of Kings, Pilate. And Lord of Lords. And he's going to establish a physical kingdom. Isaiah prophesied and said unto us, A child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This isn't just some passage we use at Christmas about a little baby. No, it's about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, and of the increase of his government, peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He's coming back and he will establish an earthly reign, but not yet. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so the question remains, well, he hasn't come back yet. So did his kingdom come? Where's his kingdom now? Well, Matthew 4, 17 says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach. He's getting started in his earthly ministry here. Beginning of Matthew. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when Jesus arrives on planet earth, it was his intent to establish a beachhead on a battleground and a front that we couldn't see. And it was the most important territory and battleground anyone's ever fought on. And this is where he was fighting, the spiritual battleground. And the winner of the spiritual battleground doesn't have temporal and earthly consequences, but heavenly and eternal. And what Jesus' disciples couldn't understand, and John the Baptist, and Pilate, and so many others, is that Jesus, the, the battle he was fighting and, the, and, the, and where he was establishing his kingdom, he said, first and foremost, before I get to planet earth and establish my kingdom there and set everything right, the first thing I'm going to do is set things right in the eternal world. Because there's some real power at play here. And there's some real wickedness. And there's some darkness here. And there's some power that's beyond anything any of us could comprehend or understand. And we'd be terrified if we began to. And Jesus said, I'm going to win there first. And in, and in uh, Matthew eleven twelve, 12, he said, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. We don't get to think of Jesus as some little figurine in precious moments shop. He's a warrior. He's threatening. He came to fight. Just not in the way his disciples or Pilate imagined or could understand. He fought and he conquered in the spiritual world. He conquered death. Yeah, he died. And he beat it. He came back up. Three days later, he fought and he conquered hell. So you don't ever have to experience it. He fought and he conquered the grave. And Colossians 1.13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? You needed a deliverer. You needed a warrior. You needed a fighter to fight for you in a way you couldn't fight for yourself or anyone else. And so he came. He delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The kingdom he established wasn't a physical one. Not yet. He defeated sin. He ruled supreme in the spiritual world. He came to establish God's kingdom in that spiritual world. So where is his kingdom now? Well, the Pharisees asked that question. In fact, they, they came to Jesus and, and they're mocking. You have to understand, these men weren't sincere. This was not a real debate. This was them trying to catch him. So they say, when is the kingdom? So in Luke 17, 20, they, they, they demanded him when the kingdom of God should come. So this is their, their arrogant. These guys were, were so stuck up, so disrespectful. 
And he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Wow. Okay, it's here and you don't see it. And you won't. It's not visible. It will be one day. But not yet. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. So they said, When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus said, It's not something you can see. It's not something you can point to. Oh, it's there or it's over here. He says, For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Where's his kingdom? Well, it's on the beachhead of our hearts. The decisions that we make. They wanted to know when it was coming, and they didn't even know what it was. When is the kingdom, Jesus said? It's now. Where is it? It's in your heart. If you're a child of God, then you are part of the Father's kingdom because He isn't just your Father. He's your Lord. He's your King. So when we pray and we request that God's kingdom come, you are praying that God will be set up as the rightful ruler and sovereign in your heart. Thy kingdom come in my heart, Lord. Jesus said it's now. It's within you. It's not low here or there. It's not with observation. He said it's here in your heart. Lord, thy kingdom come in me. Be established here inside of me. Presently, Christ's kingdom exists on the earth in the hearts and the minds of believers. You want to make a better nation, become a better person. Let the kingdom of God establish itself in your heart. Let its, His kingdom grow inside of you. Perhaps one of the best descriptions of the kingdom of God inside our hearts is found by the Apostle Paul in Romans 4.17. And he said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's, it's not something you visibly see. You don't taste it. You don't eat it. He said the kingdom of God is but righteousness and it's peace and it's joy in the Holy Ghost. Jesus Christ comes into the believer and, and all of a sudden inside of us is not this disturbance and this upset at all the things happening in our world today. No, instead inside of that individual, the kingdom of God establishes itself and in that person is joy and there's peace. There's love, there's goodness, there's light, there's strength, there's virtue there. It's established in our hearts. Righteousness, the kingdom of God, is supposed to be established and growing in your heart. And that's why Jesus said, as he gets to the conclusion of Matthew chapter 6, and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things you're worried about, they'll be added unto you. The word kingdom in Greek is basilia. And it does not primarily refer to a geographical territory, but to a sovereignty and dominion. And God cannot be a king over that which he has not been made a sovereign. And so if the territory of your heart doesn't belong to him, or you resist him, or there's not joy, there's not peace, there's not righteousness established in your heart, well, then the Lord's not reigning there. That kingdom is small. 
and it's shrunk, and it has no impact, and it has no influence. And we say, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come is, Lord, fill me with your joy, with your light, your righteousness, with your peace. And through me, establish your kingdom on earth, in my heart, just as it is in heaven. Now I'm pointing up, but we understand that what we looked at last week, that God is around us. He, he is with us, and that's who He is. I literally trained my heart. I got lost in my notes. Give me a second. If the territory of your heart doesn't belong to Him, then His kingdom has not come. And Jesus said, I want you to pray like this. Thy kingdom come. How do we know when His kingdom has come in our hearts? Well, when His will is done in our lives. Thy kingdom come, and Thy will, He says, be done. What's a will? Well, it's simply intentions. It's purposes. It's plans. So as we come to the second line of the prayer, we come to a moment of decision every single day. And this is the title of the sermon. My and mine, or thy and thine. It's a choice we make. So I come to the Lord in prayer, and, and the Lord would pray multiple times a day, and we, we read about Him praying in the morning, we read Him praying in the evening. Daniel would pray three times a day, the early church would pray three times a day. So we have responsibly pray at least once a day, but I think the biblical pattern would be more than that. So this isn't a vain repetition, but it's this, I come to a moment of decision. Thy kingdom come, and not my will be done, but Lord, today, in this moment, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, Thy will. That be done. And I have to constantly realign my life around that mission and around that purpose. I'm training my heart to think less of me and what I want. And instead, I intentionally yield my will to God. It's a daily recognition, Lord, more of you and less of me. Jesus exemplified this. So in, the, in Luke twenty two forty one, 41, he was withdrawn from about his disciples. And the Bible says about a stone's cast. Not a great description, geography. Take a stone, throw the stone, and that's how far Jesus went away. So he's a stone's cast, apart from his disciples. And he's in agony, and he's about to die. It's a horrible death. It's a gruesome death. It's an awful death. But that wasn't his focus. His focus was the separation from his heavenly Father, because he had never experienced that. And you never have to, because of what he did. And so here he is speaking about his heavenly Father who's always present with him, and now he's not going to be. And so he kneels down, the Bible says, and he prays, Father, again, there's that word, that's the address, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Okay, what's he saying? God, Father, I really want this gone. Like this thing I'm facing, this person, this circumstance, this hurts. Don't explain it. Don't fully understand it. This disease. God, this, this, this time frame in my life, this relationship with my spouse, my child, Parents, God, this cup, he says, if it's your will, let it pass from me. Let it, get it out of here. 
And then he says, nevertheless, I taught the disciples this, and I guess I better live it out. Because <laughs> I remember back in Matthew 5, when I was teaching them, that Sermon on the Mount, but let's see, yeah, yeah, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's what he exemplified. That's what he prayed. See, our lives are changed dramatically. And maybe not in the moment, but ultimately for the better, when we are focused on God's will getting done. We have a hard time with that. You know, a child learns the word mine very quickly. It might be for some their first word. I mean, it's like pretty sure like all of my kids were dad, dad, and then mine, right? Mine. The impulse never goes away. Heard a phrase, I'm sure you have, it's called battle of the wills. Every parent understands this with a toddler. It's the battle of the wills. You ain't going to win, little kid. (laughs) Every married couple understands this. If you've been married for longer than a few weeks, all right. Anyone who grew up with siblings understands this, the battle of the wills. The dictionary defines it as a contest in which each side is determined to get what it wants, and neither side seems willing to yield or compromise. We see this in politics. We see it in nations. We see it in business environments. We see it in churches. We see it in homes. And, if we're honest, in our own individual relationship with the Lord. And sometimes we don't pray because we don't want His will, really. Don't want that. Don't want to go through that. Don't want to yield myself to that. Don't want to be part of the solution. Don't want to forgive. Don't want to, don't, don't want to have that, that, that conversation. Don't want to give that. Don't want to yield that. Don't want to do that. Don't want to give that. Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. Look, this is a day-by-day decision we make. And the question is this, who's winning the battle? of the wills in your heart. See, the very reason that we pray this prayer is because too often God's kingdom doesn't come and His will is not done. So much of what happens in the world, it is not God's will. And our prayer is what God pays attention to. And it is what He hears. And it is Him saying, hey, look, I'm here. What do you want? You want your way or mine? And I'll show you mine. And I'll work through you. But you're going to have to do it. It's not His will that one person in Tulsa dies and goes to hell. Not one. It's not God's will that one person on your street would die and go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not willing that anyone in, the, in, in Nepal, where we have a missionary come, come from, that not one of them would die and go to hell. He's not willing that one person in Mexico would die and go to hell. He's not willing that one person in America would die and go to hell. Are they going to? Yeah, too many. So what's our responsibility? Well, the, share, the, share our faith. Not my will. I'll tell you what my will is. My will is to not ever pass out a track because it's uncomfortable. My will is to walk out the back door tonight and not even look in the direction of the track table. That's my will. 
My will is not to carry them with me, not to share my testimony with another human being, not to invite anybody to church, because it can sometimes be uncomfortable and even embarrassing. That's my will. But God's will is that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I come to the Lord, and I say, God, not my will, but thine be done. And so in my work environment, which God knows those heathens need Jesus, <laughs> in my school, in my community, when I go out to eat, or not my will, but thine be done. So Lord, help me to share you. Help me to pray for those people to be saved. It's not His will that our attitudes be grumpy and mean-spirited and unkind and at odds with one another. And so we pray, Lord, I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. Lord, I, I just want yield to yield to my own passions and the way that I feel, my own feelings. But not my will, but thine be done. So help me be a better person. Help me to forgive. Help me to let go. Help me to have righteousness and joy and peace. Help your kingdom to be established in my own heart. It's not will, His will for us to live lives that are full of hurt and pain. So we pray for one another that we might be healed. John mentioned a moment ago Sarah Parson. And every week we mention someone. This person's hurting. And we hear that. And we have empathy. Pray about it. Like not, not, not your will, but, but His be done. God would, you, God, would you do something here? Would you help? Would you, would you take the time, because it's our will to not pray, and to seek the Lord on each other's behalf. But He instructs us to do that, to pray for one another so that we might be healed. The early church, they prayed multiple times a day. They were constantly seeking to realign their wills around God's and not their own. This prayer is more than a prayer. It's a vision that we strive toward. And each of us has our part to play in the coming of God's kingdom. In our hearts first. It'll be established in other places, but it's got to be established here first to make an impact. And the doing of God's will through me, as His kingdom is established, His will is done. And when His will is left done, it's because His kingdom's stopping established in our own hearts. And so we recognize that the kingdom of God will always be already and not yet. It is among us. It is in us. And it is still to come. And Jesus will come back in the way that Pilate imagined, in the way His disciples imagined, and the way we want Him to. But He's not here yet. And so he says, the kingdom of God's within you. Let it be so. Lord, your peace, your righteousness, your joy in me, thy kingdom come into my heart. And then not my will, but thine be done. That's the kind of life Christ expects us to have. We need to be the light of this world, not angry, upset, fomenting, Christians, at the politics, at the kingdoms of this world, they're the kingdoms of this world. There's some things to appreciate there, sure. But the kingdom of heaven, that's what we strive for. That is our focus. 
And that is the aim of this church and of the Christian's life. Let me ask you to stand with me, if you would, with your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment.